I don't know about y'all, but the one thing about that video that just really got to me was, and I have to highlight it again, over 33 years of being a church, $88.4 million out of the house, all across the world. <laughs> that's, that's amazing. And there's only one way that could happen. It's because of the generosity of this house, of, of everywhere. In fact, I want to welcome the family because we're all gathered to celebrate 33 years. And I want to welcome North Cobb, Hamilton Mill, and of course Midtown where all the cool people go. So, no, there are cool people here too. Yeah, don't, don't, don't stone me yet. Okay, so 33 years. And you're probably wondering, well, why are you up there? So... I will answer your concern. And, uh, you know, certainly Johnson and Summer would, would be here. And originally it was my husband and I who were going to share today. And Johnson and Summer and my husband are recovering from an illness. So it kind of reminds me of the San Francisco 49ers and the year they had and what happened at the end game when they had to pull in the fourth string quarterback. <laughs> Just call me Joss Johnson. <laughs> so I'm going to be tossing. I'm going to be throwing something. And I need some really good wide receivers to take what I'm going to share today. All across the campuses. So, you know, it's, it's a marvelous day to stand here. And obviously, I was around when we first began 33 years ago. So... You know, this is so meaningful to me because we started with seven people. And what you need to know about that stat is that three of the seven people were my husband, myself, and our two-year-old daughter. So <laughs> we began with an amazing children's church from day one. Yeah, so. And watching what happened, how college students came and helped us launch this work and do what we needed to do and you know, I got to tell you, Dennis and I never had plans for a big church, a mega church, a giga church, whatever it is. This was not our plan. You know, we just wanted to see people come to know Jesus in, in such a way that it, there would be a monumental shift in their life and their purpose and that they would begin to taste and live the everlasting life that we can start right here on this earth that was our plan, and, you know, because honestly, just to be totally honest with you, we had some concerns about big churches, because our question was, you know, can, can you really have true community in a big church? Like, when you, when you start getting massive numbers, can you really have community? And, you know, obviously, we, we've learned that it's absolutely possible, because, I mean, one of the main reasons it's possible is because all the amazing small group leaders. In fact, if you are a small group leader, I'm high-fiving you right now because you are the one that helps us to have true community. We wondered, can, can you have true accountability when you just get massive numbers? Can you truly care for the sheep? And then again, it goes back to those amazing small group leaders who have invested in the lives of everyone around them. And can you have true purity? Can you remain true to the word of God without being tempted to kind of dilute things just so you keep the crowd coming? 
These were our, these are very valid concerns, right? And in fact, we began in 1990 and then late 1990s into 2000s. There was an emphasis on church growth, church growth seminars everywhere. And there, that was the time we saw a lot of this emergence of massive churches. This was when we first began to use the terminology megachurches. And what that really arose from was something called the seeker-sensitive movement. And here was the thing, the, the, the focus was more on being attractional, sometimes at the expense of being biblical. And the big idea was that, that what they told us when we would go to seminars, they would tell us pastors, look, if you don't shift your services to more of a felt need expression of Jesus, then you could risk losing an entire generation and you will become irrelevant. Now, that's something to consider, right? But it didn't sit with us. It seemed a little off. And so in year five, the Lord began to talk to us about this. In fact, he said these words to my husband and he was praying. He said, you're gonna have two choices on how to build this church. You can focus on being a big church or you can focus on building a strong church. And can I tell you that same principle will apply to your business. It's all you entrepreneurs out there. I know we have a lot of entrepreneurs in this church and I'm so thankful for it because God has anointed you. But pay attention, because this principle applies to you. Are you gonna build a big business, or are you gonna build a strong business? Because the path you take and the strategy that you involve yourself in is gonna be completely different depending on which one you choose. So obviously, we chose to build a strong church, which means the emphasis is gonna be different. And little did we know that how much that emphasis would help us to continue to grow and continue to be thriving during the recession, during all of the things that happened, the calamities in our nation, the things that have shaken our nation. And our church has continued to grow, not just in strength, but in numbers and in campuses. And we've been able to duplicate and replicate what God is doing here in other areas. And we're so thankful for all the other campuses that are joining us because you are so essential. It's not just this campus. This isn't the main campus. This is one campus. You, we we all are the main campus, by the way. And what's interesting to me is that approach that we took, in some ways it was attractional because it attracted high quality people like you. So I'm glad you're here with us. <laughs> so I wanna ask a question because we're celebrating 33 years and some of you have been with us for a long time. In fact, I'm gonna ask you across all the campuses, if you've been a member for five years or more, I want you to stand to your feet because we wanna honor you. Look at this, look at this. Look at this, wow, beautiful. Thank you so much for your faithfulness. Now, wait up, if you're 10 years, stay standing, 10 years, look at this. Wow, 20 years. You've been here for 20 years. There are people still standing. Now I know maybe not Midtown because you're not that old, but praise God, praise God. Thank you so much for your faithfulness. And we've been able to do what we've been able to do because of your faithfulness. And so I'm so thankful for that. 
And the thing the Lord said to us also was, you can build a church filled with people who are believers in Jesus or people who are disciples of Jesus. Now, there's quite a distinction. In fact, I want you to take a look at this because it's important that we understand the difference, okay? A believer believes in Jesus as Savior but lives to still please themselves. After all, I got my life. A disciple believes in Jesus as Lord and lives to please God. So you live much more intentionally as a disciple. A believer serves God based on convenience. If it's convenient, I'll do it. If it's convenient, I'll go to church. If it's raining, eh. Disciple serves God based on conviction. Convenience or conviction. Now, here's the thing that I've learned as a leader. When you're trying to get people motivated to do something, you can light a fire under them, and that's very short term. You'll get some action out of them, they'll do something. But when you are able to light a fire within, then it's something completely different. The level of buy-in, the level of action is completely different when you act out of conviction. And we need a little more conviction on this earth, don't you think? A believer goes to church to hear what God's word says. But a disciple goes to church to do what God's word says. So... Every single one of you are in danger right now. Everyone that's listening to this and watching this and participating with this. Because God is going to expect you to do something about what you hear. So don't leave now, because it's still there, okay? A believer is accountable only to themselves. After all, I like my independence. I don't want nobody up in my business. A disciple is accountable to everyone. A believer seeks the benefits of God. A disciple seeks the will of God. Much greater level of submission, right? Much greater level of submission. Like we got to deal with stuff that's holding us back. A believer sits in church. A disciple serves in church. They see the value of their participation. They've taken ownership of it. A believer thinks that money and possessions are theirs to control. A disciple thinks that money and possessions are God's to control. After all, that's absolutely the truth, whether we choose to live by that or not. A believer lives a life of compromise with sin. Because when you're a believer, you can see you love Jesus, but you don't have any fear in you. So you kind of just do what you do. And you don't look a whole lot different from before you confess Jesus as your Lord and Savior. We should look a lot different because a disciple lives a life that pursues freedom. I am not going to be the same way. I'm not going to be the same person. I am going to be free from all of those weights and running my race in such a way as to win the prize, right? A believer thinks church is a place they go to. A disciple thinks church is a place they go to every day. They think that church is who they are. So this is super important for us to consider because we might be in one category or the other. The good news is we can always shift. Now, 
This is something that Jesus wants us to understand the difference, the distinction, and he very clearly challenges us in his word that we need to consider a decision here. And I'm gonna read out of Luke 14 and verse 25. A large crowd was following Jesus. He turned around and said to him, if you wanna be my disciple, you must by comparison hate everyone else, your father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even your own life. Wow, that's pretty heavy. That's pretty heavy. Otherwise, you cannot be my disciple. So right here, he's laying out the terms of this relationship for us. If you wanna be my disciple, then you have to know this. And if you do not carry your own cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. But don't begin until you count the cost. Count the cost. Don't enter into this relationship blindly or carelessly or with a cavalier sense. For who would begin construction of a building without first calculating the cost to see if there is enough money to finish it? Otherwise, you might complete only the foundation before running out of money and then everyone will laugh at you. They would say, there's the person who started that building, couldn't afford to finish it. Or what king would go to war against another king without first sitting down with his counselors to discuss whether his army of 10,000 could defeat the 20,000 soldiers marching against him. And if he can't, he will send a delegation to discuss terms of peace while the enemy is still far away. So you cannot become my disciple without giving up everything you own. Salt is good for seasoning, but if it loses its flavor, how do you make it salty again? Flavorless salt is good neither for the soil nor the manure pile. It is thrown away. Anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. I remember my husband telling me as he was reading this verse what jumped out at him. As we know, the church, by comparison of the world, there's a lot more unbelievers on the face of the earth than there are believers and there are disciples. So as he's looking at this, he's understanding there's something to consider. And so God just began working a process in us because the question was, is your church strong enough to do battle in the earth? Are you going to be a weak, compromised church that just nobody even knows you're in the neighborhood? Are people going to feel the effects of the light that you should be? You see, this is where we began to understand why membership was important because the, it is the members who are gonna go into battle. And we need to know, as we embark upon things, we need to know who's with us. And as you can see across all these campuses, those of you that stood, thank God for you because we know you're with us. You've been with us for years. But we know this, there's more work to do. There's greater work to do. And we need to know if you're with us because it's a big part of our lives. In fact, what he's telling us is there's a cost that comes with commitment. Now, the word commitment, it's kind of a trigger some of us, right? Maybe you committed to a relationship and it didn't work out or, or a job or a situation or a person and they failed you. But that doesn't make all commitment bad. Commitment 
is necessary. He's asking us, he's laying it out. He's saying, if you want to be my disciple, there is a commitment involved. And so when we began to understand this as far as what commitment meant, what it meant to be a member, what it meant to be effective, the Lord gave us this understanding, and we call it the five levels of commitment. So I want you to look at this diagram up here. The first one, notice the outer circle. It's pretty massive. It's the community. It's those people right now who are not even aware of who Jesus Christ is. The unchurched, there's no commitment there. The second level as we come in is the crowd. The crowd are those people who attend here periodically. There's little commitment there. The third, as we come closer, is the congregation. Those people who attend regularly, and there's some commitment there. There's somewhat involved. The fourth level of commit is the committed. These are the people who join the church, who tithe, who serve, and who are part of a small group. They're all in. Their commitment there is strong. And what's interesting about this, this is where there's a separation, where you know what kind of army we have. Those that just stay up in the congregation and who just are here from time to time. And you love coming here, but as far as your part of commitment, you have reserved making a decision. And so we're looking at those who say, yes, I want to be a part of this thriving body because those are the ones we know we can count on because we have 20,000 out there and we need to know if we have the 10,000 or more to be able to win over the world and to be able to do kingdom business. That's the strategy, right? And number five, do you see how small this is? This is the strength, the core. These are the people who are committed and who are living out the call of God on their life. This is a strong commitment. Pretty amazing, huh? Now, when you take a look at this, you know when you're in the mall or you're in the airport and you're trying to figure out where you are, you go up to the marquee, you go up to it and you look at it and it says, you are here. So I want you to look at this, whether you're online, whether you're in the rooms, no matter the campuses. Take a look at this and locate yourself. Where are you? Where are you? Because I think the Lord is wanting to show us where we are and where we need to go. And that's okay, right? It's time we look at it. It's time we look at it. See, I think something happened to us with the pandemic, and there was a reset in our life. And so what we noticed at first was initially we were locked down, and the only means of connection that we had, we couldn't go outside, right? And the only means of connection we had was through streaming. Thank God for that. I'm so thankful that we had the capabilities to do that. And I remember preaching a message on Mother's Day from this pulpit, and this room was empty other than a few people, staff, key staff who were here. And so at that point, the key word was accessibility. That was, that was our lifeline, right? We, we got the message, and we streamed it, and we casted it to the TV, and we called the whole family, and we sat down, and we stood up during worship, and, and we engaged ourselves, and we watched and gleaned from it, and we were thankful for it. 
But then the country began to open up. We're still streaming. So now we have options. And so people decided, do I want to go? Do I want to sit in that room? I understand it for a while that it was, you know, a little touch and go. I understand health concerns. But let's be really honest with us, ourselves. Let's be honest with why we were doing what we were doing. Because when you have options, things become optional. You see, initially before, pre-pandemic, we centered things around church. On Sunday, that was the priority. Everything else acclimated underneath that. But now we had options. We don't even have to watch it in the morning. We, it's on demand. We can watch it anytime. We can now put it on our phone while we're making a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, right? We have options. The next word is convenience. And because we had the options, we began to change our, and reprioritize why we were making our decisions. And if they were, if it was convenient to go to church, maybe we would go. But we always had backup plans. I don't know about you, but here's what I've learned about myself. A lot of what I get out of the word of God, of worship, has everything to do with my engagement with it. And, and it becomes a lot easier to engage when you're on campus, when you're in the room. It's a completely different worship experience. Everything else is completely different. And so I think that's kind of what happened to us. But in the meantime, out of that also arose this idea of house churches and people who decided, well, if I'm gonna stream victory because I know many of you are across the nation and across the world who stream with us and you would say, victory is my home church. And so what can we do in that setting? Well, you can invite other people to join with you. In fact, I'm so thrilled we have a lovely young lady named Emily over here who's a missionary in Kenya. And she came to, to Victory to experience a, a service. She's a friend of Kervin's and decided this was her church. But she lives in Kenya. So she streams the services and she invites a number of people. So she has inadvertently started a house church in Kenya. <clears throat> Let me tell you something. In those circles, if you're out on the perimeter, there is a way for you to get to the center. And she found a way to do it. it. It just reveals something about our hearts. It reveals something about our priorities. So we call those circles, let's throw them up there again, the life development process. And the goal was to take people as far to the center as they want to go with God. Because after all, the only thing worth pursuing in this life is knowing God and having him know us, right? <laughs> So this is essential for us, and we have used this as our guide and to understand the importance of us coming together around his truth. In fact, look at Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works, and let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do. But encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. So again, you see, the big idea with all of this, with this plan, with this strategy, is 
You don't make a difference by getting bigger. You make a difference by getting stronger. And Johnson has laid out the vision, a million souls. We've got to be strong. We need to know who's with us if we are going to accomplish that assignment, if we are really going to do that. Because it can be done if all of us take our place in the body. It absolutely can be done. But here's what we decided and we understood in this whole process of going to the core. And that was that the catalyst starts, it's the process of moving from a believer to a disciple has everything to do with commitment to membership. It really does. This is where we have seen people move from just attending church to actually being the church where they began to find their place and their value in the body of Christ. I mean, this is reflected in Ephesians 4. It says, for his body has been formed in his image and is closely joined together and constantly connected as one. When you become a member, you become a part of the body. He's using this analogy because he wants us to understand the need for this kind of commitment to one another. When people move from, this is where people move from, knowing the vision to owning the vision. You see, this is why it's important to become a member of a church. Now, let me just say this, because this is not a sales pitch to be a member of Victory. This is a time for us to consider what are we doing in our lives that is a part of the body of Christ, because maybe this isn't your church to be a member of, but go find somewhere to be a member, to plug in and be a part of. That's what I want for your life. That's what we all want for your life. Now, here's what happens when you become a member, when you become a part of the body. It's amazing how it benefits your life. But let me say something here, because when we talk about membership, I know it, it draws certain things to mind, and a lot of times we process based on our everyday experience. So let's talk about gym membership. How many of you have a membership to the gym? How many of you actually go? <laughs> I know they all go at Midtown because Pastor Mo and his leader fit. <laughs> they measure your biceps before you walk in the door. No, they don't. <laughs> So think about this. It was the beginning of the year. You saw all these commercials, all these specials, sale prices, join to become a member. And you're like, I need to take care of my temple. I'm going to do this. So you signed up. You paid on the dotted line, right? And every month, whether you show up or not, your money shows up, right? <laughs> because you know that when you walk up to a gym and you walk through those doors, you can't say, hey, and just walk past the receptionist and go work out on any piece of equipment or have a, a personal trainer. They're not just doing it for free. You gotta pay, right? So the reason why you join a gym, the reason why you buy a membership is because you don't have access to anything unless you do. But when you come to Victory, we didn't card you at the door, right? Nobody, there's a personal trainer up here right now. Did I, I'm not charging you anything. <laughs> Mm -hmm. 
You, you, are you paying a babysitter to watch your kids? No, they're, they're, they're being ministered to for free. Everything here is free. So why should you join? Obviously, we need to think a little different about the criteria here. I mean, how much more? How much more do you want to join with a thriving body that is generous like this? How much more would you want to be a part of something that is going forward with the things of God? Who want, if you want to become a disciple, then this is your house, okay? So what does it do? What do you get out of membership? Well, there are benefits. Number one, it connects you to a spiritual family, and that's important. 1 Corinthians 12, let me read this to you verse 25 to 27, that there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. Or if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now, you are the body of Christ and members individually. You see, he's talking about us corporately and individually. And most of us have our family members spread all across the nation, if not the world. And so family sometimes looks like this. My spiritual family is closer to me than my natural family. It's probably the same with a lot of you. And, you know, the, the amazing thing is about the care component, okay? We need to understand what it means to be valued in the church. And that's why we have small groups. In fact, I can recall an incident a few years ago where a young boy was hit by a car and he was immediately sent to the ER. And because this, this family was connected, they were, they were a member, they were a part of a small group, the word went out and immediately we all went into action. In fact, the, the life group members, the life group leaders were at the hospital to greet the ambulance as it arrived, even before the parents. And of course, he was fine, okay? He didn't die, let me not forget that detail. But the point is that this is the kind of thing, how are we to know what's wrong with you if you're just coming and going as part of the crowd, and then you feel sorry, and you feel lonely? Well, what are you doing to create community around you? What are you making, what are you taking advantage of? Stop letting the enemy tell you you don't matter. We need you. You're valuable. We need you in the body of Christ. It also brings us under spiritual accountability and covering. Now, just as much as some of us don't like the word commitment, some of us really don't like the word accountability. <laughs> and I understand that sometimes you may have had some experiences with spiritual authorities who abused their privilege and power. But don't think they're getting away with it. God will hold them accountable, okay? So that doesn't mean you ditch all spiritual authority in your life because we need it, okay? God set up spiritual authority in our lives to help us stay on track and not fall into sin or wrong doctrine. You know, I didn't know any better as a young Catholic girl when I got saved and I became a part of a small group. And my small group leader would challenge me about some of the error that I was thinking. All I knew was what I'd been taught. And I, we would get into debates because as a Catholic, I was taught certain things. But then he would open up the word and he'd say, Colleen, this is what it says. So you're gonna have to choose here. And I didn't like that, but I'm glad he held me accountable. He watched what I did. That, that was a benefit in my life. I mean, honestly, 
I, I need accountability. The higher up you go, the more accountability you need in your life. And so do you know what? To some degree, you're my accountability. I'm accountable to you. And I know I need that in my life. I remember a pastor's wife asking me, she said, don't you, you know, kind of resent being living in a glass house and everywhere you go, you're, you know, constantly running into people who know you? And I said, not at all, not at all, because I need it. In fact, I tell you a story several years ago, note, several years ago, okay? <laughs> My husband and daughter and I were in this discount store and shopping and, you know, one of those things where you have to wait in long lines to, catch, to be able to check out. And here we are waiting and waiting. Finally, I'm the next person. And I, I turned around to say something to my husband, turned back, and there's a woman standing in front of me. And I said, excuse me, um, the line is there. So, you know, I was standing here. You just appeared. So I think you need to go there. And the woman went off on me. Now, sometimes you will meet Jesus when you meet me. And sometimes you'll meet Mama Bear, okay? So uh, Jesus didn't show up right there. And we had a conversation. And <laughs> I turned around again for a little help from my husband. And he and my daughter had walked away like, <laughs> what was that? So... Anyway, the woman ended up going to the back of the line. As I walked up to the cashier, she looks up at me and says, Pastor Colleen. See, here's the thing. I promise I behave better now. Um, the thing is this, if, if really at my core as a disciple, if what I really want to be is a reflection of Jesus, if I really want to look like him, then I don't mind other people peering into my life. I don't resent that. And you have to understand that that's the place of spiritual authority in our life to help us, to hold us accountable because after all, you're not just living on this earth. This is a blip. We're concerned about your eternity, okay? That's, that's it. So Hebrews 13, 17 talks about this. Our, obey your spiritual leaders and submit to them, continually recognizing their authority over you, for they are constantly keeping watch over your souls and guarding your spiritual warfare as men who will have to render an account of their trust. Do your part and let them do this with gladness and not with sighing and groaning, for that would not be profitable for you either. There's something to be said. You know, Dennis and I have spiritual authority over our life. We have men that we hold ourselves accountable to who can ask us the questions because that's what keeps us sharp. That's what purifies us. So who do you have in your life doing that? That's an important thing. Number three, it increases your power through partnership. 
Now, we just saw the power of partnership with our ability to give $88.4 million because we partnered together with our resources and having this impact. And so this is what happens. Everything gets multiplied as we grow together. Ephesians 4.16, for his body has been formed in his image and is closely joined together and constantly connected as one. And every member, every single one of you possess divine gifts to contribute to the growth of all. And as these gifts operate effectively throughout the whole body, we are built up and made perfect in love. So there is a perfection that happens. You and I are here to build each other up. We need each other. We need to support each other. We have gifts for each other. And the way that happens so beautifully and powerfully is being members, being active in the body. So this is amazing for us. Number four, it challenges you to think more deeply about your life. You know, the greatest challenge of every generation is how deeply do they allow themselves to go when evaluating their life, the path they're on, the decisions that they're making. And, you know, it's important that we live with intentionality and not just surface-level thinkers. You see, this is the beautiful thing about coming and hearing the Word of God because the Word of God challenges us automatically to think deeper and to not think just short term, so that we become less prey to the enemy and we grow in our wisdom. And that is the temptation for us. We live in a world that's very much about short term, and it produces short term thinkers. So what kind of environments are we putting ourselves in that causes us to be deeper thinkers? When you can just access so much information that's flying through your feed on your Instagram, it's a temptation for us to just take things at the surface. But we have to learn how to become deep thinkers in a society that is promoting quite the opposite. That's the beauty of the word of God because the word of God goes deep. The spirit of God is here. When we preach the word of God, the spirit of God is saying things to each of us that we need to hear. He's going deeper with the words that a human being says and he takes them and does greater things. He personalizes the message. We have to take that responsibility. And by the way, maturity doesn't come with age. It comes with acceptance of responsibility. Ephesians 4.14, then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching, and there's a lot out there. Right now, we have a very prominent leader in the body of Christ that's pretty much telling us that the Bible is questionable, that science is more dependable than the Word of God, and it's happening But here's why we need to hear the truth. We need to be a a part of a discipleship process. We won't be tossed about by all of this. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. I'm grateful for his word. And let me tell you something. Any leader, all of our campus pastors, I'm speaking on behalf of every pastor and every leader, We will not 
back down from the word of God. The word of God is true. We will not. We will not stop preaching the truth no matter what happens. I don't care if police show up at the door. We will preach the truth. We will preach the truth. Do you know why I know that? Because just like Paul talks about, it's got such a hold on us. There's no way we can let go of the truth. It has a hold on us because the word is to be made flesh. The word has to be elevated beyond something you're just reading or flipping through. It needs to gain entrance to the inside of you, changing you from the inside out so that you are no longer just a believer. You aren't satisfied with the old life. You aren't satisfied with a halfway commitment. You say, I'm a disciple. I, I am going to take up the cross that I have and follow Jesus. I don't care who's with me. I'm going because he is everlasting. He's the only way, he's the truth, and he's the life. That's it. That's it. We're not backing down. We're not backing down. And we're grateful because you, we know you're with us. Number five, it produces endurance in our lives. Membership, being a part of the body, an active part of the body. Psalm 92, 12, I love this. It says, the righteous will flourish like a palm tree. They will grow like a cedar of Lebanon, planted. Those who are planted in the house of the Lord. Those who are planted, those who are committed, they will flourish in the courts of God. They will still bear fruit in old age. Now all the people go, yay. <laughs> they will stay fresh and green. You know what's interesting? If you've seen footage from a hurricane damage, buildings demolished, homes destroyed, yachts up in trees, but there's one thing that's still standing. Do you know what that is? The palm trees. Yep, the palm trees. Why are the palm trees still standing? You know what's amazing is they're, they're an engineering masterpiece. You see, they have lots of roots that go out. Their connection points are many and they are strong. And so that's what makes them pliable instead of being rigid. That's what makes them pliable. And no matter what comes at them, because they are so well connected, they come back up. They, their resiliency is because of the network of their connections. This is why we too need to form connections in the body of Christ. I want to just, if you're in this room, if you're on campuses and you're one of those individuals that as soon as it's done, you're out the door, we need to know you and you need to know us. I don't, I don't care what the enemy has said about your value. I tell you you're valuable and we need your gifts and we need you to know your gifts. We need you to understand that you are a part of a church family that loves you. You need to experience that kind of love. Jesus cares about his bride. The bride is his church. And whatever Jesus values, shouldn't we value it as well? We should. So today, here's what's happening. Today, he's calling on us to consider where we are in, that, in those circles. Where are we? Because I know this. Some of you were a part of the core. You were a part of the committed. But you've kind of drifted back out. It's time to come home. It's time to come back in your place. 
You know, I understand that some of what I'm saying today might agitate you a little bit. But you know the pool of Bethesda? Remember that in the scripture? The still pool that would, all these people that were sick, lined around it, circled around it. And, and at one point, an angel would come down, and the Bible says it disturbed the water. It began to stir the water. And that was for the sake of drawing attention to the fact that healing is here, and everyone that needed it would go in. You know, sometimes this is what the Lord does with us. Sometimes he stirs and agitates the waters of our soul because he wants to get our attention. And it's, it's the way he loves us. He loves us enough to challenge us not to be complacent anymore. He loves us enough to encourage us to correct our ways. That's the way he loves us. And with that kind of love, we can grow a lot. We can go far. That's the kind of love we need in our life. We don't just need people patting us on the back saying, I'm okay, you're okay. Because we need to be more than okay. We need to be overcomers in this lifetime, right? So he's giving us cause for consideration. Because like I said, I just want you to be a part of the body of Christ, a thriving body. And if it's not here, then find your place because you're missing in action right now. And we want you to be a part of the family, to be a part of the army, to be a part of the team. Because after all, when we are knit together, we're a mighty force. Amen? God bless you.